Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, if you would please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We are concluding our series today on the gifts of Christmas, which has been our Advent series. And I'll give you by way of preface for my message. Uh, This past year, I was actually painting uh, my laundry room. I know that's very exciting. And so I was looking for something to to listen to, and I stumbled across a podcast. It was a podcast of a sermon. And the title of the sermon was The Groan of the Glory. It's by, uh, the sermon is given by a man named Robert Smith Jr., who is a professor of preaching uh, at a seminary um, at Beeson Divinity School. And uh, God spoke to me through that sermon. So I want to say, first of all, I want to commend that sermon to you. It's called The Groan of the Glory. And... uh, and also encourage all of us, 2016, uh, to, to redeem the time, as, as has been prayed. Uh, some of us, um, myself included, have oftentimes a, a lot more moments where we're paying the laundry room than we think to, to do things like listen to sermons. And so I want to, first of all, acknowledge how, how God used that sermon in my life. And uh, it's behind this message today, the groan, the gift, and the glory. So just a few verses from Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at uh, verses 22 to 25. This is God's word. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, you have given us another year. We have much to be thankful for, much to rejoice in. And Lord, yet we also see so much brokenness before us and we long to see your glory come to earth. We long to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, as we live in this moment, so often with groaning, give us a glimpse of glory. Show us your glory that we might honor you and pour out our lives for the fame of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three, uh, three points today from this text. And of course, uh, like any self-respecting preacher, they have to start with the same letter. The groan, the gift, and the glory. We see all of these things in Paul's text. And What I want us to see this morning uh, is how God has given us a gift which sustains us between the time of groaning and between the time that is coming ahead, the time of glory. And to start out with with the groan, which is our present sufferings. You know, as I was thinking about the holidays um, and I was, uh, you know, the past couple weeks been listening to holiday music. I thought about that song, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Have you heard of that song? It's the most wonderful time of the year. I'm going to stop, I promise. Um, 
or I can keep going, um, with kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap- happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the hap- happiest meeting, happiest season of all. You know, the holidays, Christmas, New Year's, uh, it brings with it, you know, so many good things. And our culture always talks about the, the positive. It affirms, hey, this is the time of year where, where we should be the happiest, the most filled with joy. There's gift giving, there's celebration, there's food, there's being with, with friends and family. And those are all things that we should rejoice in. Those are gifts from God that we can be thankful for. But that's not the whole story. Because while we have those moments of joy from God, if you live in this, in this world at all with your eyes open, you know that there is suffering around you. You yourself have probably experienced some degree of suffering in 2015. And so what Paul would say to all of us this morning is he says, I know that you hear the caroling and the singing and the laughter, but do you also hear the groaning? Do you hear the groaning, Paul says, not just of you and me, but Paul, this is amazing here, he expands it, he says, creation itself is groaning. Sin is cosmic in its scope. And he says that this, this word, this groaning that we experience ourselves as believers is something that's affecting all of creation. Creation is like a tire that's out of balance. Have you ever been in a car where the tire's out of balance or, or, or uh, any other kind of vehicle? And you hear the thump and the thump and the thump because it can't rotate properly. Creation is like that. Creation is off kilter. And Paul uses this word. He says creation is sustenezo. It's, it's groaning. It's sighing. It's crying out to say this world is not the way it's supposed to be. How is creation groaning? Death reigns in nature. Just this past few weeks, we had flooding in Missouri. Um, we're told that glaciers are melting. And the BBC just reported in November that we could be headed toward a post-antibiotic world due to the overuse of antibiotics in livestock and the, and the new development of, of new bacteria. Creation is groaning. Things are, are not the way they're supposed to be. But it's not just creation. Believers are groaning too. Paul says that. He says, not only so, but we ourselves, verse 23, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul says, look, there's a sense in which everything around us, animals, creation, is groaning because this world is not operating the way God originally designed it to operate when we see hurricanes and flooding and mass disasters, not even to mention all the sin that we, you and I see around us from humans. But he says, believers, you and I, we're groaning too. We're groaning because we're waiting for our adoption as sons and daughters of God, as children of God. Now, we need to ask, when Paul says that we're groaning, 
what does he mean? And, and let me tell you what Paul doesn't mean when he says that you and I are groaning. He isn't saying we're groaning because we can't find a pair of clean underwear. He isn't talking about we're groaning because we can't find a parking spot at the mall. He isn't saying we're groaning because there's a two-hour delay on the bridge or through one of the tunnels. Now, that may be frustrating, but that's, that's not the groaning that Paul is talking about. You know, so often maybe we think of, of, our, uh, of things that we face like that as groanings. And full disclosure, you know, some of you are not going to be able to relate to this. But um, when I'm frustrated, and Betsy always knows it, she knows it right away, you know, the, the first ways it will come out is typically it will come out in, you know, my, my body language and my voice even before it comes out in my words. So, uh, you know, a regular kind of darling may turn into a darling, you know, darling, you know, and I know none of you do this. But, you know, hey, where are my keys? Where did I place this? What's, what's happened with this? And Paul would say to me, and he would say to us, he'd say, Josh, that's not groaning. That's called grumbling, and that's sin, all right? When Paul is talking about groaning, he's not talking about these uh, these inconveniences that we experience, these frustrations that we experience. He's talking about a longing, a longing for a better world. I, I, I saw the great divorce, the off-Broadway production um, that's being put on. I would just so recommend this to anyone. I think it's just out of production, but Max McLean took C.S. Lewis's great divorce and put it into a 90-minute off-Broadway production. It was amazing. And the great divorce is about um, people looking sort of into hell and into heaven and having a choice of kind of what are we longing for. And groaning, as Paul means it and as God means it, is a longing for God's kingdom. It's a longing to see his kingdom expand on this earth. It's a longing to see the end of war, the end of terrorism, the end of slavery, the end of the sex trade, the end of cancer, the end of AIDS, even the end of death. That's biblical groaning. It's, it's not, um, you know, I got, I, got a, I got a little cough this today, or I'm not feeling well, or man, my, my team just lost again. It's deeper. It's a longing for to, to see the world the way it should be and the way that God designed it to be. And it's a longing to have the redemption of our bodies. Now, our culture doesn't always know what to do with, with groaning and with suffering. And so when I look out on the holidays, and this is just my perspective, but a lot of times I feel like the, the mentality is, well, just kind of, uh, just kind of medicate. Uh, you know, just buy lots of presents and, and, and uh, in, enjoy lots of uh, material things. And you could ignore the groaning. But with the presence comes the pain. And as believers, we cannot ignore the groaning. We know it's present. We know as we look out on the world that things are not the way they're supposed to be. So God has given us a gift. He says, my child... I know you're in a world that's groaning. I've given you a gift to sustain you, to support you in the midst of this groaning. That gift is called the gift of hope. It's the gift of hope. You know, 
the Bible can describe salvation in many different ways. In fact, if you think about the gift of salvation, if you're reading your Bible, you're reading your New Testament, the more you read it, the more you're going to say, wow, salvation can be described in, with so many different words. And the truth is salvation is like, it's like a beautiful diamond that from every different angle you see a different glimpse into God's glory and what he's done for us. And one way that Paul and the scriptures can describe salvation is with the word hope. Notice what Paul says here. He says, for in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. In other words, salvation equals a spirit-endowed, spirit-given hope to you and to me. And so one way that we know that we're in Christ, one way that we know that we belong to God is that he's given us a hope, a hope to sustain us. You know, hope is not a luxury in the Christian life. Hope is not like going to the car dealership and, and, we're, and we're looking at the features and we're th- thinking, do I want the sunroof? Um, do I need the heated seats? Uh, do, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, hope is not like that. Hope's not like, well... I'm a Christian, you know, am I going to take hope? Am I not going to take hope? The Bible says that hope is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you know Jesus, you have hope. You know, if, if you read Paul's writings, he has a triad of virtues or gifts from God that he, he consistently advocates in the Christian life. Faith, love, and hope. And, and there's some different uh, examples there on the screens of the different places in Paul's writings where he does that. You know, I think we, we talk a lot about faith, and we should. Faith is the way that we know Christ. It's the instrument, it's the means by which we know Jesus. We talk a lot about love, and we should. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the greatest of all. But we also need to think about hope. Hope is a, it's a future vision that sustains us in the present. And if, if your hope is not sustaining you in the present, then it's not biblical hope. Because hope is all about saying, we can live now with confidence, without fear, with love, with concern, with grace, because we know what's coming down the road. You know, um, the, Paris, the Paris terrorist attacks happened just a few days before the Italy missions team left to go to Milan. And I remember I was watching the news that night, just sitting on my couch, when it, it all broke live. It all started, um, you know, coming through the news reports. And we were leaving for Milan in just a few days. Um, and, and while we were in Milan, there was actually a threat that the U.S. government issued um, to Milan. Praise God, nothing happened. But you think about terrorism. Many of us are concerned about what the future holds. And uh, obviously, that's the exact goal of terrorism and terrorists is to induce fear. But ever since sin has first infected God's good creation, there have always been things to fear. There have always been threats against humanity. And if Jesus hasn't come back in 500 years or 1,000 years and we're all flying our, our X-wings, you know, or whatever, we're, we're flying... Um, our Jetsons cars to the store to get milk. There will just be some new fear. There will be some new threat to be worried or to be concerned about. See, the, the solution when we face 
difficulties in our lives, both, both personal in our own lives, like a sickness, a disease, or, or broader when, when we think about terrorism, and of course that is a real concern, the solution is not to say, well, well, I'll just do everything I can to protect myself and I'll put my hope in that. But rather, it's to put our hope in God and to know that He is controlling the future. He is controlling all things and we have His Spirit which can give us a hope that will sustain us in the midst of the groaning. What is hope? What is hope? Hope is an expectant faith. It's a joyful anticipation. Hope is expectant faith. It's joyful anticipation. I wrote about this on one of my pastor's desks, um, about the difference between a surprise and, and anticipation where someone knows. There are, you know, certainly some enjoyable things about surprises, although some surprises aren't good. But anticipation is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to know what is coming if it's, a, if, if it's a great thing like a wedding or the birth of a child? And so God has given us a, our hope so that we might have joy in the present as we live in the midst of the groaning. You know, if you have two people, let's say, let's say two friends, and uh, one, one friend is engaged, and, and the other friend says, you know, how do you, you know, hey, so-and-so, how do you really know that you're going to get married? You know, I guess they're not they're not good friends or uh, or one friend's nasty. Um, how do you really know that you're going to get married? And the friend says, well, well, look, I, ha- I have an engagement ring right here on my finger. That's a pledge to me that the wedding day is coming. And the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit, it's the first fruits, it's the pledge that the consummation, the fulfillment of the hope is coming and so we are called to cultivate that hope in our lives to dwell upon that hope to know that our hope is it's expectant and we it can even be a joyful hope because we know where the story is going we know that god will ultimately redeem all the evil in this world for his good purposes we know that everything works together for good for those who love god and are called according to his purpose. That's, that's what can sustain us in the present, in the midst of the groan. We live in the groan. God's given us a gift. That gift is hope. But finally, the, our hope, what is it? Our hope is glory. It's the redemption of our bodies. What, are, what exactly are we hoping for what we are hoping for is the redemption of our bodies. We see, see this in verse 23. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This broken vessel that we are in will one day be redeemed to be more glorious than we can ever imagine. In, in the great divorce, and I could talk so much about this play that I saw yesterday because it was amazing, but um, the characters, when they go to heaven and they step on the grass, it hurts them because they're kind of like ghosts and they're not solid. I love Lewis's metaphor. Lewis's metaphor is when you go to heaven, you become more solid and everything else around you is just joyful. And, you know, 
I'm all about New Year's resolutions. I love New Year's resolutions. I don't know how many of you have made them for 2016. Um, I've made a few. But so often, right, we make the health New Year's resolution. We say, you know, we're going we're gonna to hit the gym nine times a week. And um, we're going to drink those smoothies. Uh, we're finally going to pull out that, that smoothie machine and make, drink those healthy smoothies, right? And we're going to do all that. Um, and, and when I go out to eat with people, I'm finally going to order a salad for the first time ever which I still, I don't think I've done that yet, even though every time I know I should. Um, we make those commitments. But the truth is that our bodies are decaying, even if we keep them in good health. And the hope of our glory is a body that will never decay, a body that is more glorious than anything we can imagine here on earth. And even this glory, we experience the first fruits of it now. You know, we're waiting, Paul says we're waiting on our adoption, on our sonship, but yet we know that sonship and adoption has already happened. Salvation, the Bible says, is an already not yet reality. You already possess it, but it's also not yet. We don't possess it in full. And the spirit in our hearts, again, like that engagement ring, is that pledge that the harvest is coming. God has given us a glorious inheritance. And that is what we are looking forward to. That is the object of our hope, is what is to come. It is glory. I want to spend a few moments now to to try to apply this to us and to our lives in the present. What is the role of hope for you and me in our everyday lives? Hope is that bridge between groaning on the one side and glory on the other side. You know, it's very easy in our lives, especially, you know, you're looking, you're turning on the news, and it just, sometimes it just feels like all groaning, right? You're, oh, not again. I mean, sometimes we're literally groaning. No, you know. And yet, as believers, we know that glory is coming. But yet, it can feel so far off. It can feel, it can feel, I mean, Paul says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. I mean, we can't see it. We're trusting that it's coming in faith. And the role of hope is to serve as a bridge between these two realities of groaning and glory. Hope sustains us because it tells us where the story is going. Hope anchors our lives. And I love what Hebrews says. Hebrews says hope is an anchor. In other words, if you don't have that anchor, that your ship can run aground at any moment. But hope is that thing that anchors us in God so that we can face whatever comes in the present. You know, without hope, um, many people simply take this attitude. They simply say, We're gonna, I'm going to numb the pain, right? I mean, that's, that's one response to the groaning is just to say, look, it's messed up. I'm just going to numb the pain, uh, pursue my, my own interests, and as the saying goes, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we don't have that luxury. We can't numb ourselves to our groanings. In fact, God says to us, don't waste your groanings. Because our groanings can ultimately serve a redemptive purpose. See, when we numb ourselves, it all becomes about us. It's all about our comfort and our ease and all about um, me getting through whatever struggle I'm having. 
but rather when we are able to face our groanings because we have a hope and because we know that our groanings are not the end of the story. All of a sudden, we can look around us and say, wow, there's a lot of people in 2016 in my town or in my nation or in this world that need the hope of Christ. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of co-workers, there's a lot of neighbors, there's a lot of family members that need the hope of Christ. And it's a hope that I have been given. Just like a scar. A scar is a, per, is a perpetual reminder of, of an injury, of some form of suffering that you experienced. And every time you look at it, you remember that. So our pain can be used of God to enlarge our hearts for others, to love others, to be agents of healing in the lives of others. I mean, um, one of Kim's points, maybe his main point in the message last week was giving back to God because what he's given to us. Our pain reminds us that we can be agents of healing and love in the lives of others. And also our pain makes us more and more dependent upon God. It says, God, um, I'm in the midst of the groaning, but instead of, of doing the medicating thing, which we can all medicate a thousand different ways, to medicate the groaning, I'm going to face the groaning and let you cultivate that hope in me so that I can live for you every moment, so that I can say in 2016, I'm going to be used of God, Lord willing, by his grace more than I was in 2015. Don't waste your groaning. One final thought. 2016. It's one step closer to glory. It's one step closer to the end of groaning. For in this hope we were saved. On Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, Betsy and I, we, took, we, we did this. I don't know what we were thinking, but we decided to take our four kids into New York City, and uh, including our, our double stroller, the double wide, um, you know, which is like, you know, clear out of the way when we're going down. Um, so we, we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and, and had a nice time. And then after that, we decided that we would take the kids to see the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, which we had never done before. So, um, we, you know, we took the, we, we were going down the streets and even like a mile away from Rockefeller, there's just like a million people. And it's not even New Year's Eve. It's the day before New Year's Eve. And, you know, finally, like, it's off in the distance. I'm like, oh, see the tree, kids? Okay, you know, well, let's leave now. Um, <laughs> you see it? It's, it's right there. Can you get, get, a, get some binoculars? Um, but at, we kept going, and, you know, we got closer, and we let them look in the skating rink and all that. And uh, there was just so many people. And we went through Times Square, and they were setting up for the new, you know, Dick Clark, Ryan Seacrest, whatever it's called now, uh, the New Year's Eve celebration. And according to reports, Times Square was host to over a million people on New Year's Eve this year. They gathered for a huge party. They gathered to watch the latest pop sensations, to watch the ball drop. I guess it didn't drop this year, but at least light up at midnight. And I'm sure that apart from access to plumbing, it's got to be a fun thing to be there, right? <laughs> to, be, to be with a million people. At that party, I can't get past the plumbing part, but um, I don't want to know how that works. Um, It's a huge party, right? It's a huge party. Everyone's coming to what is probably considered, I don't know, the epicenter of human civilization, New York City on New Year's Eve, to celebrate. Let me tell you this. 
the greatest human celebration that can or will ever occur will be like nothing when Jesus comes back. It will be like nothing. It will be, it will be like a little child trying to take a match to light one little candle. That's what it will be like compared to the glory of when Jesus comes back. We don't even have the vocabulary to begin to describe it. And I, I love people like C.S. Lewis who uh, use their imaginations to try to even begin to describe what the glories of heaven will be like. It will exceed the boundaries of our senses. It will explode our wildest notions of beauty and power. It will defy every notion of what is possible by human standards. It will exponentially exceed our deepest experience of love and peace. It will stupefy our profoundest insights into the supernatural. It will paralyze us with wonder and amazement and ecstasy. It will bring us to our knees in the purest form of worship we have ever known. And in a fraction of a second, no, even a millisecond, we will know with finality that the days of groaning are gone forever. And that death will be but a distant memory and that we are finally home, ready to dwell with God forever in glory. That is our hope. May God sustain us in 2016 and beyond. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you. We thank you. You are a good, good father who takes care of your children. Sustain us this coming year. Use us mightily for you. Help us to extend that hope to others. And Lord, cultivate it in our own hearts. As we live in the groaning, give us glimpses of the glory. As we head there by faith, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.